Welcome to Your Money Story. I'm Dawn Thomas, a mother of three, financial advisor by day, and a PhD candidate studying the experience of Generation Z with the superannuation system. This podcast provides a platform for stories that are underrepresented. Everyone's money story is unique. My guests are people who conduct their lives with purpose, authenticity, and are not afraid of being different. They stand out within their industries for being themselves. I hope their journeys inspire you to harness your own gifts and talents. I'm a believer of living your truth each day. Let's change how the story ends. We acknowledge the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation as the traditional custodians of this country and its waters and where this podcast is recorded on, stands on Noongar country. We pay our respects to Noongar elders, past and present, and acknowledge their wisdom and advice. The information discussed in this podcast does not take into account your personal and financial objectives and situation. Before acting on any information discussed here, you should consider its appropriateness, having regard to your objectives, needs, and financial situation. For part one of this special International Women's Day episode, I speak to Lacey Filipich. Lacey is a warrior woman who is not afraid to speak up for the rest of us. She's the founder of Money School and the author of the book, Money School. You will find her on various platforms, tackling the hard discussions on financial empowerment, women's progress in Australia, and the economic security of marginalized groups. This episode, we assess whether women have progressed in the last 12 months. Lacey, welcome back to our International Women's Day episode. So thrilled to have you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Delighted to be back. I had a lot of fun last year, and I'm sure this will be great too. Now I feel like every International Women's Day we should be doing something because I just want to have your (laughs) words of wisdom flow through to the rest of us on this really important time of the year where we finally get a platform. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's lovely. It's nice to have a chance. Yeah. You know, based on the learnings that you you, you kind of shared with us the last time, first thing I did was I went on to the UN site to look at their theme for International Women's Day. I've learned, so listeners, I've learned from last year. And the theme is Changing Climates, Equality Today for a Sustainable Tomorrow. So it's a theme that recognizes the contribution of women and girls around the world who are working to change the climate of gender equality and build a sustainable future. What does that mean to you, Lacey? Well, I like that it acknowledges the future and building something sustainable. It's a bit of a nod to climate change, I think, as well, because, of course, we've heard that that's going to disproportionately affect women as well, uh, which is interesting feedback. Um, So it's nice that it's got that little nod in there. And I think that whole acknowledging what women are doing is great. As you know, as we've talked about before, I'm very big on the contribution of men to improving gender equity because they're really the ones that have to do most of the changing and, and they're in the positions of power to make the change. So I like that it's, you know, acknowledging the role of women, but I'd love to see a, a more, hey, what are the what are the men doing? Um, and, and acknowledging their role and really championing the men who are standing up and making those big changes as well. But every year is a different year. We'll see how this one goes. You're very right about um, this is really an, an everybody issue not just a women's issue so thank you for pointing that out um so <laughs> this is banging on about that every year <laughs> every year that's right so this is the, the best use of of Lacey's time is just for us to cover a whole range of topics because we're going to get it all in one place and I'm just going to be throwing different things out to Lacey and just to find out her thoughts um effectively as well some commentary on whether we've moved forward backwards based on these events or stayed the same so something very recent in the news, Australia Day with uh, Grace Tame. What, what are your thoughts about Grace's year as an Australian of the year and then sort of how it kind of ended off? 
Yeah, she was fantastic. I was mm. so impressed with the single-minded focus she had on making a change as a result of that. So I was lucky enough to see her speak twice when she came to Perth. Wow. I, I got to see her at the Ospire Day and then I got to see her for Business Chicks and she spoke about similar stuff at both ones, but they were each a little bit different, tailored to different audiences. So seeing her at both of them, though, talk specifically about the change she wanted to see, which is every state at the moment has different standards about what constitutes uh, abuse of, and what constitutes a minor and, and how it categorises and talks about things. And every state's different. So, for example, in Tasmania, um, it got talked about as a relationship, you know. It wasn't mm. called child abuse um, yeah. when she was abused at 15, which seems extraordinary. In other states, it would have been treated differently and handled differently. So her policy that she wants to see implemented is a an Australia-wide standard so that it's the same everywhere, it's the same definitions, it's the same um, way that we speak about it and the way it's treated. So she was absolutely determined on that. She spent all of her time campaigning towards that. I, I was very impressed with how she did that. What always worries me about people that have to relive these stories again and again, and we saw it with Rosie Batty, and we've talked about this last year, when you make survivors stand up and relive that trauma again and again, it does huge amounts of emotional damage. Grace spoke about um, having uh, suicidal thoughts after having, uh, when she was at our presentation, she talked about how her partner, Max, and now her fiancé, had had to coach her through periods where she had felt suicidal because every time she tells that story, she relives it. She relives because she tells it in incredible detail and describes how this man, this predator, went after her and it's horrific. You can see the toll it takes. I wish we had a better way. Mm. Every time I see this happen, I think this person is really putting their life on on the line almost by making this disclosure to us to make this progress so I think that's the thing I find so hard about this whole process I'm impressed with what she does I love that she does it but I just every survivor that has to relive their trauma to make people change it really upsets me Mm. (laughs) I wish we had a better way because we know what she's proposing is it seems to me a no-brainer I can't believe they haven't done it already you know Mm. you go oh wow I didn't even know that was the situation it's one of those things you go oh oh we really need to change that it's disappointing that she's got to the end of her term and it hasn't been implemented. But when she was standing next to Scott Morrison and refused to smile, wow, she, like, went up in my estimation. I know a lot of people went the other way. It was a very polarising uh, experience <laughs> for a lot of people. A lot of people came out and went, oh, childish and all that stuff and yeah. how immature and just don't go. And then other people like, wow, I, I want to be like Grace Tame. I want to have the guts to not pretend it's okay because... You really shouldn't have to. And, you know, this expectation that we're to smile more and to just cover it over, Grace have the guts to say, no, I'm not just going to be nice for the sake of it, just to make you look good because your photos will then be used for PR, which we know is what would be used for. But I'm, uh, yeah, I basically, my respect for her went up seeing her do that. I'm just sorry she has to bear the brunt of all that emotional toll, reliving her trauma all the time to make us change, to do the right thing. But what I, see, what I really respect about you Lacey is that you've brought it back really to her core work and what she's about and I think sometimes what happens is that that gets forgotten all year for people who are not listening and then it comes down to this one picture and then suddenly the debate yes it's it's actually as a as a woman I kind of go it's reminded me of all the times where I have smiled when I didn't want to smile when you're uncomfortable I even remember um, being really young maybe about eight years old and I'd gone with my family overseas and the driver of the car was putting his hands on my my leg and then I remember just 
like it was like a frozen smile and I looked at my parents I'm just like what's happening here and then and then they were just like laughing like oh, it was wow. funny yeah and I remember telling my my parents about it many years later and they said oh we didn't know that he did that <gasps> but I as a kid you know you really learn at that time going I'm really uncomfortable you're screaming inside but you learn to just smile <laughs> like you know yeah. when, when I saw that photo for me it was like wow she's showing something that you don't think is possible because you think you're going to be really criticized you're going to be told that you're unprofessional all the stuff that came out against her um, mm. but she did it anyway and I think it is divisive but I think it does remind us to maybe be a bit more like maybe it's it's okay sometimes <laughs> to wear yeah. it on our face well yeah and, and to be honest and like let's re- not forget she's autistic right yeah asking an autistic person to mask all the time they get an extra level of burden but yeah this whole just suck it up and you smile and you get yeah. that, like you said that just that phrase then screaming inside yeah you know I can think of a few times when I've done the same you just do it to keep the peace yes but nothing's going to change quickly if we yeah. keep doing that it's just that expectation um and the just the self-entitlement that goes along with people saying oh she should have just not gone or she should have smiled you just yes. everyone who said you're immature and it, no she was strategic she's very strategic she's super intelligent and, yes. and really targeted. And if you don't see that that was a, a political move, which is exactly what it was for Scott Morrison, getting a photo with her, <laughs> um, my respect for your intelligence drops. <laughs> yeah. so, well, and this is the thing, yeah. it, it's probably not even um, against party lines or anything like that. It's the fact that it's just a general commentary on what women have to go through. Um, and she she really brought it to light, you know, you know, like you said, whether it was she planned to do that or whether it, mm. it just happened because she just didn't <laughs> feel like it. And then everyone's responding in this huge way. Um, yeah. I almost felt like it was a picture that needed to happen. But yeah, you do feel for her because her work is her work is so intimate and broad and like you just don't want her to have any more negativity thrown towards her. Um, exactly. Yeah. Especially unjustified. I, you <laughs> know, I, I saw that interview with Amy, I can't even pronounce her surname, the journalist, is it Remakis? Remakis? I'm not sure. Um, and, and PVO on the project. And, man, I think if you want to watch the discussion and how um, those two sides play out, that's a good, like, five- or seven-minute clip to watch um, people challenge that, oh, well, that was immature or, you know, she should have had better manners. If you're, if you're kind of leaning towards that side, go watch that clip and listen to the discussion between PVO and Amy um, mm. and Carrie, the host as well. It's really enlightening to, and you can see people thinking about, yeah. oh, yeah, I just assumed that's why you did it. It's, a, it's tough to be a parent. I wonder if you get this, Dawn. You know, yeah. I've got a daughter, you've got a daughter. Yeah. I want my daughter to be comfortable when, you know, if something happens like happened to you when you were yeah. eight. To just be like, that's not okay, and not to smile and to make a point. And if she makes a fuss about it, I don't want to fall into that. Oh, just be quiet for a minute. Let's get through it. Yeah. I want to be like, yeah, wow, that's not cool, man. And yeah. you should never accept it. And how are we going to get to that point unless you've got role models like Grace, you know? Exactly. Anyway, so, so massive fan, basically. Massive, yeah. <laughs> and I get that as well. As, yeah, as a parent, I've really had that conversation with my daughter because I think you reflect. But I think Grace brought it in such a, just brought it into the daylight, right? But like for me, it was a personal conversation I had with my daughter where I went, um, you shouldn't have to let anyone make you feel uncomfortable. She gets it, especially when we go to Asia. People will come up and just touch her. They want to touch. And I said, nobody's supposed to touch you. You don't have to smile. You just say, I don't like it. Stop it. You know, and, and you know, come to mama and papa. But like I, I had to have that with her, you know, but I, I almost feel like it would be controversial for me to say it more 
openly I don't know it's a weird thing like you're asking for permission to say more openly but I felt okay saying it to my daughter and then Grace just Grace just sparked a whole con- <laughs> conversation you did, the she took it to the she next did. level <laughs> she took it to the next level that's right because you kind yeah. of go like you know you're comfortable with things talking to your children because the you know you don't want to have any ifs or buts it's it's like no nah, it's your kids you're going to protect them but she just okay. brought it a spotlight so yeah. first topic done mm. thank you for that I <laughs> I knew that. You see, you've got you just contribute so much to our community, Lacey. Thank you. Okay, so oh, we're moving you. on. <laughs> we're moving on to Brittany Higgins. Mm-hmm. Um, she's going to get her day in court. How are you feeling about her progression through the year? Look, delighted. She's finally going to get her day in court. How has it taken this long? Yeah. How this is? I think when I see someone like Grace just refusing to smile at the leader of our government, that's why. For me, that's why I understand this, you know, police process and all that, but she just was not treated the right way. I think that's the what I can, what I've seen so far. I mean, we'll wait for the outcome of the court case, um, but the stuff that has been released so far about how various ministers and staffers have treated the incident, I have found shocking. But it's another person who incredibly gutsy to stand up in front of people and again bear your soul. Like she's reliving that experience. Yes, um, it's. I wish we didn't have to break people like that, you know. It's it's so sad that they have to be up there telling these stories for people to believe it. I think the washout for me that I've really struggled with, um, you know, since we spoke and it's gotten, you know, it's come more to light to me, that whole um, lack of action against people who conduct themselves that way. So I think about um, whether we believe survivors and the, the message that I get from the government is uh, and. It, he said it multiple times for multiple ministers, as Scott Morrison said, it, he has my full support. This is dealing with Christian Porter and who's that? Queensland, Andrew Laming, who did the apparently upskirted someone um, with a photo. That the, the way they say he has my full support instead of believing the survivor is what I have seen through that year. So every time Brittany Higgins has has tried to have the conversation, they've just PR'd it. You know, he Scott Morrison refused to come out and talk to her and the crowd at March for Justice in Canberra, um, things like that. I've just been so disappointed watching how they've handled it. But I'm delighted she's finally going to get her day in court. She's another one. She's like Grace, another person who's willing to stand up and say this is not okay and, and put herself through all that trauma for the benefit of other women uh, and, and everybody really because yeah. we all want to be safer. I just hadn't really appreciated how slow they were going to be. It just seemed like a no-brainer to me. Like, hey, if you've got this accusation, don't we just act on it quickly? It just took them forever. <laughs> yes, yes. And and that's the thing. Like, I was I was going through her, um, reading some articles about her, and it just went, wow, like, you know, um, because um, the person that, that she has accused is is saying he's not guilty, right? And, and I kind of feel like, how much does she have to prove? You know, when we think about any of these cases, they will tear down the victim's reputation and like basically victim blame, right? So you're really talking yeah. about that trauma that they've really gone through. It's taken so much for them to even have to push it forward to get to this point. And that whole mm. relieving bit and being attacked is probably going to happen as part of the process. And I think that is um, that is heartbreaking. <laughs> that even yeah. though it's gone on this far, you know that it's not even over. Exactly. Um, and it is tough that I think, the adversarial process has been spoken about quite a lot in the media about how everything we have for these kinds of claims is inherently adversarial and how that doesn't work for these circumstances because so yeah. often it's two people alone. So it has to be your word against mine. Yes. And so that just inherently 
for someone to get justice, they have to try to fight it. So the lawyer that represents the accused person has to do their obligation by fighting this. So they're obliged to do all these horrible things to poor Brittany Higgins to, to really test the theory of is this person innocent or not. But that adversarial method, I don't think, I think what we're seeing is it doesn't work very well. It's not designed for these. So I, I'd be interested to see whether our government will eventually look to other countries, because I can't remember which one is. I think it's one of the Nordic countries, mm. has a, a non-adversarial process, so it's not punitive justice, so there's no um, you know, jail time and stuff at the end, but the victim gets their day to tell how they felt and they, the accuser has to listen. And so you don't have this judgment, because I think the stats are pretty shocking, you know. I think it's, you know, it's under, it's a few percent of cases ever get reported and then only a few percent of those go to trial and then only a few percent get convictions. You know, like it's this every yes. stage, there's less and less because of the way that we go about it and it's just not working and unfortunately yeah. she's going to have to go through that. It really, yeah, it's not fun. It's not fair. <laughs> I no. don't think it's achieving uh, the justice that many people would hope for because no one's going to be able to fix that and even jail time for that person is not going to make her feel whole. Um, so is there a better way? I just hope we eventually find a better way. Yes, I was listening just recently to an episode on Australian uh, true crime and they had interviewed um, uh, someone in the police system and they were trying to explain why it's so difficult. So they said that, you know, you might have a report that goes to a police officer and then they're thinking about whether they charge someone or not. And they're thinking, will the prosecutor be able to make a case? And then the prosecutor is thinking, will the public... Um, will the public actually believe this case? So they're already preempting all those steps. Um, and they and they said ultimately it's down to actually the public's perception mm. that that the victim has done something to put themselves in that position. And actually that's really sad to hear because sometimes you go, oh, maybe it's something to do with maybe the way that the system works when you go to the police or maybe the way the court system works. But this is really telling about all of us as a community um, and they talk about, you know, like when you're telling your daughters about what oh, they should cover up if they go out and warning them about um, what boys can do, are the conversations happening to boys about, you know, being respectful to women. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I can understand why <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. it almost feels like we won't make progress, but we will. But, you know, it just, it just sometimes feels hopeless, you know. Well, it's a really hard endemic thing. There are people who think it's normal. I mean, there was that, um, it just got reported in the media in the last couple of days. Those, I think they were British police officers, their yeah. WhatsApp chat. Okay. Did you hear about that one? No. So some, uh, I think they're English, uh, but everyone will have to check on that. There's some police officers whose private chat, in which they are all named, you know, in their normal names, um, was talking about how uh, this one quote was horrific. It was this officer saying, oh, ever since I uh, smacked my missus, so dealt her a blow, uh, she won't leave me alone, she loves me more, it makes them love you more, blah, blah, blah. You know, mm. like, so that's a police officer. Mm. So imagine if you're the person reporting and you go into that dude. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you think you're going to be believed, that the, like you're going to be made to feel guilty. You, you know, there's, there's lots of things that could go wrong. Um, so yeah, it's not surprising at all. It's very interesting to hear about that uh, podcast or um, yeah. true crime one that you know you hear that so much of it is about would we have any chance of being yes. believed? I just wish I just can't imagine anybody like Grace Tame, Brittany Higgins, anyone who's ever been abused like that. They don't get. There's no good that comes out for them apart from maybe getting some justice. It's it's a horrible experience. No one's gonna lie about it on average for publicity. So every time I, you know, someone says, oh, it's hard to think this is not about. A publicity attempt 
um, I kind of think, oh, it's a bit throwaway. I can't imagine anyone willingly putting themselves through this process, yeah. all the interviews, the court time, um, the, the public ridicule, the negative things they said about them, the threats and abuse yeah. that they get. I don't yeah. think people would do that unless they really needed to. Um, so, yeah, I think we just need to do a bit better on the believing them. Yeah. I think it's honestly, you know, victims have possibly more to lose than um, if people could understand that. But um, that's where we're at. So it sounds mm. like on that one, there's just a lot more work to do. You know, 12 months is possibly not yielding the kind of change that we are after. Oh, um, not even close. Never <laughs> close. I know that's, I think like it's been a long year, but apparently not much has changed. But you've also mentioned in both those cases, the link to March for Justice. Mm. Um, you were involved in it last year. Mm-hmm. Um has the impact of that flowed through? Have changes been made? No. Okay. Um, sadly, so, so I love the cause. It's, I still support the cause. But we didn't see enough engagement with that cause from the government. Their response to appoint this, you know, Committee for Women thing. And at one point, um, Scott Morrison made the mistake of saying, you know, a prime minister for women and then, you know, backtracked on that. <laughs> but that, that committee does not seem to have done much positive at all. I think the thing that's the most telling on all of this was the fact that none of the, I think there was like 55 recommendations in Kate Jenkins, the um, mm. Sex Discrimination Commissioner's report, and none of them have been adopted. Yeah, okay. So the government now has had the time to review those. That was going to be the big thing. Oh, well, we've submitted the report. We know what to do. Nothing's been adopted. But they, they have not changed any of those things. And that's where we're going to see progress is if they adopt these systemic changes. And apparently they have not adopted them. They, you know, they, that is, I think, very telling because that's where the rubber hits the road, right? We can mm. have the protests and everything, but it's not until you start changing some laws or some policies or setting different expectations that you will, you'll, you'll see transformation. And so none of those things, none of the four things that the March for Justice asked for, which are kind of the umbrellas over those 55 recommendations, I think it is, um, none of those things have been done. None of them have been met. We haven't seen any tangible change that I'm aware of. Everything that I've seen that's been an improvement has been individual progress in existing systems. I haven't seen any major systemic change really, um, driven by policy or government, which is super disappointing. Mm. Um, and this idea that you're going to appoint a committee that's conf that's mostly women and that they're going to fix it is just it's so naive. <laughs> so 1990s, it needs to be all the blokes in there as well. Yeah. And you need to actually do something, not just talk. I get that we've had a lot else happening though. So, yeah. you know, a little bit of credit for that. But by now I kind of think, this is stuff you know. These report, this report's been around for a long time. You could have done this stuff as well. Um, it's not an unreasonable expectation. So my patience is running out. You can understand there's a lot going on. But, you know, every time we talk about um, closing the gap on inequalities, right, there's always a more important priority that's happening at that time. And this was before COVID-19. <laughs> this is, I always remember, like, you know, there's always like a something that's affecting the profit line, that we, they need to work on first and then this will come and it's kind of like a nice thing to have as opposed to like an urgent thing. Seems like the same story that is happening. <laughs> yes, very repetitious. And that's oh, yes. the thing I think. I think that's why I don't believe much of it anymore because yeah. there's a lot, a lot of talking and not a lot of doing. I know that's just, you know, the experience of government all around usually because I'm, I'm a big cynic. You know, I think most people yeah. in Australia are pretty much like, oh, yeah, we've got a government, but so what? Um, <laughs> You know, it's 
we haven't seen much radical change in a long time, but it has, it just it makes me doubt that they really do care. I just don't believe them now mm. because if you were serious, you would have fixed these things. It's within your, I just have to look at, and I keep going back to Grace Tame's request for a national standard. Yep. That's, that's, that's achievable. It's reasonable. It's been done before, you know, in other areas. You could do it. If you had the political will, it could have been done by now. So I don't, I just think there isn't enough political will. That's, that's it. They've got other stuff that they consider more important and uh, hopefully people vote recognising that. But, yeah, it's hard. It's hard for that, for people, I think, because, you know, I was raised as a liberal family. You know, we were raised in that. So I think it's very disappointing to see such a lack of any will and action. I just, I, I'm gobsmacked. I, I did not expect them to be so poor in their response. I thought they'd be serious, but it's just been a total farce. <laughs> that you say that you're disappointed means that you had the expectation. So that, that's actually a positive, that you actually gave the benefit of the doubt that something would have been done. Because otherwise yeah. you won't be disappointed, right? You'll just be like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what you have. So um, we, we'll see what happens in the next 12 months. And I, I get the sense from both of us as well. Like, I don't want people to think that we've, we've given up. It's just that when you've seen things happen over and over again. <laughs> oh, exactly. Of, yeah, exactly. And I do think this is this thing, right? So... There's systemic change that's going to move trends. So we're going to see percentages of women being abused going down. We're going to see higher percentages of women participation in all different levels and things like that. That systemic stuff has to come from things like governments. The individual stuff, I still think, you know, there's only so much you can do with systemic stuff um, personally. Like I can't go out and change the law. I can be part of a march. I can be, you know, supportive Mm. of the movement, but I can't make that change. Uh, by myself, I can be part of the group. But what I can do is continue to stand up as a woman um, individually and for the women I know and mentor and all that stuff. So I think I spend a lot more time and energy in that what can I personally do for the women around me um, and for myself and for my children and all those sorts of things, Um, and not just the women around me, for the men too. So, you know, I'm um, chair of our school board and last year I got to get up at the final assembly and say, hey, dads, I'd love one of you to be a class rep next year because it's all women who are class reps at our school at the moment. And I'm like, well, come on, dads can do this too. Um, yeah, so the more we can kind of do little individual changes and see more of that, the men are allowed to have caring roles and the women are allowed to do more breadwinner roles. And, you know, you can all chop and change and it's not this rote, we must follow a recipe. That's where I can, that's what I can do where I can actually see a result quickly. So I tend to focus more on that. So, yes. yeah, talking yep. about the big picture stuff, I just my cynicism is taking over at the moment. I think I I had high hopes. Like you say, I did have high hopes. I was like, well, you can't like see those reports and see Grace Tame argue so persuasively for something so completely logical and doable and then not do it. Like I'm like, it was about a 12-month process of me just going, they still haven't done anything. How can they not have done anything? Like, and then they did that committee. How can they have chosen that as the answer? Like, So I don't know. I'll focus on my energies on that. the little things I think to to do and then just support where I can the systemic change but it's a bit too depressing to spend a lot of time on at the moment <laughs> no but you, I think that's that's a very good point that that we need to make right in case it was missed is that that you know this that's that that broader piece that maybe we might not have as much influence and is moving really slowly mm. but there's the other part where we can impact change individually as well you know you talked about money debates last year in that episode and you talked about how you would place speakers um, in there according to order of, you know, in 
disability, you know, whether, you know, their, their backgrounds and things like that. Um, hmm. and, and that's making a change. This is a huge change, right? I feel the impact of your work. So I, I feel oh, really thanks, that. <laughs> so I think for, for everyone who sometimes kind of go, oh, nothing's going to change. I think there's a lot probably that's within our yeah. sphere that we can. Yeah, the little um, things, right? The little and things. Like, and it is a lot of little things that add up. It's those chats with your daughter that, you know, having that mm. conversation with her. It's the, you know, encouraging your husband to take on what might have been a typically female-treated role at the school. It's the, all those sorts of things that are yeah. little, but they are tangible and they do make a change. <laughs> and um, and I, I, I'm going to be very interested to see how many people manage to not smile when they're, you know, in a, I think it'll be a dealing trend. with someone. Yeah, it'll be a trend well, it's, now, it's hard. Sure. Well, happen. you're like me. We both default. I smile all the time. It's my yeah. default face. I have resting I smile face. You know, it's just that's how I'm built. Um, <laughs> so I actually have to make an effort to to not smile at someone. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, but I, it's going to be interesting. I can't think of anyone that I want to not smile at at the moment. But I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, you know, try and try and do more of that little, you know, m- mini activism by myself um, okay. to make a point. I'll, I'll work on that. 2022, maybe I'll be like, do I really want to smile? Question myself before. <laughs> doing that I I still think there's no harm being a default smile it's that whole if I've you know and I do think about there's a couple of men in my life that um you know in my work life that were you know that did effectively bully me if I saw them again would I pretend to be nice to them because my default would be to be like oh hi shake hands try not to spend any time with you but I wouldn't be rude I do wonder if now I might just be a bit more curt um and a or a little bit more abrupt, maybe mm. maybe that would make a difference. I don't know that that's going to change their behaviour very much, but they'd know I was unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, a, it's an interesting one, that discussion. Does it, yeah. What does it achieve? In Grace's case, it achieved a hell of a lot. It did, yes, it really yes. Well. I mean, I think, but I don't know if me doing it will work. Uh, <laughs> I think so, yeah, that's right. I think we'll have to be um, quite... Uh, strategic in how we we use that or try that out um with the smiling well yeah and that like, just you know being conscious that's also about you know thinking about your body language actively and doing something yeah. you know to try and uh express your opinion and and how you're feeling with people um in a more consistent way but yeah we'll we'll see whether that becomes a a pattern we've talked a little bit about the goings on of things in australia seems like there's plenty that's happening there and not happening at the same time um mm. but We've got that little UN article about 16 significant events around the world. I'm not going to touch on all 16, but I'm interested about some of your thoughts. So Lego, there was this interesting photo that was floating around LinkedIn and Facebook, right? And and apparently there was this little sticker in the box that said, like, it was not about boys and girls and things like that. And then I read this point on that article that said that Lego is now going to um, make sure they remove gender bias in their, their toys and marketing. So I think mm. that, that that photo that was going around, you know, going, oh, there shouldn't be, but that actually probably wasn't true. It was just a photo that was put on on LinkedIn or social media to to illustrate a point. What are your thoughts on a toy company that that iconic, making it known that they're going to remove gen- gender bias while they can? Well, the irony of this is they're just going back, right? So you've probably seen that that ad from the eighties. Have you seen yep. that ad? It's that little redheaded girl, and she's holding this thing that looks very box shaped. But it's made out of just that plain Lego, and that's the Lego I grew up with. Which it was, it was all primary colors and green and black and white, yeah. and it was just blocks. You know, there wasn't a lot of that sets thing. You you got given random blocks and you made things out of them instead of oh here's you put it into this thing. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting this idea of going back to because that's what it was. Everything was the same, and <laughs> they have just followed the pattern of the last forty years of marketing to differentiate. 
to make more income. Like that's pretty much it. So yeah, I find it fascinating and I really hope they're successful in it. I would love to see them wind that back a lot and and make sure that everything is gender open uh, and so both sexes and anyone else feels like they can play with the toys. I can't wait to see how they do it though because they rely on that income. <laughs> Sometimes as a parent, it's like a losing battle between like television, toys. <laughs> Oh, totally. The way that your your kids are artificially shaped with what their expectations for their gender, um, as much as your parent trying to talk to them about it, it kind of enters them in all these subliminal ways, you know, about what you think it should be. I know. It's tough too, right? So two engineers, my husband and I, with our (laughs) children. So you'd think that these kids, you know, from the word go, we had a daughter first. And so we bought her Tonka trucks and Caterpillar things for the sand pit and all that stuff. And she just is not interested in them at all. Bought her lots of Lego. She's not really interested in any of the Lego until we got her those dots recently that's very, you know, making jewellery and making patterns and everything. So she's still using Lego. But she's just refused to take on any of the things that I thought would, you know, let's get her into the the typically boy stuff. She's just stuck with the typically girl stuff, whereas my son is into the typically boy stuff. But that was like before they went to daycare, before they had influences of lots of people, that before they were seeing marketing, we only ever had you know, a little bit of ABC TV and not much. It was all that stuff. It was just there was something inherent in them. Zoe is just not interested in the cat trucks and the sandpit. She's not interested in that construction <laughs> stuff. She's not interested in the much of the Lego technicality stuff. She's, she's just not into it. She's into craft. And I like it wouldn't matter how much I tried to pummel her into yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. things, she would fight me all the way. So, yeah, it's that one. You've just got to give them the option. I think that's the thing. You've got to give them the option. And at the yeah. moment, Lego, it doesn't feel like you've got the option. You know, and particularly, it doesn't feel like much of an option for the boys to play with the friends line. Correct, correct. Because the friends line is so pink and purple. And so my son just rips those pages out of the book when he goes and gets his marketing book out of the mire. He loves doing that once every six months, loves to get the the catalogue. We're serious Lego people in this house. That's what my (laughs) husband asked for for Father's Day. Oh, wow. Yeah, like it's a whole family thing. (laughs) (laughs) But... um, but, it, you know, it doesn't go either way very well at the moment. And so, yeah, yeah it would be great to see if Lego does change a bit. Yes. Yes, I see that now. But well. I think like, I've come to this point where I've given up a bit trying to tell my sons that pink is just a colour. Like, I don't understand why they can't have something that is pink. Like, I've gotten tired now because I go, like, they're not buying it because yeah. it's just a colour. At the end of the day, it's just a colour. Yeah, but well, that's a really good story, that one. Have you heard the story about pink, right? So... It used to be that the boys' colour was pink and the girls' colour was blue because pink and red were seen to be strong colours because they're brighter or whatever, and blue was supposed to be soft. And then in the 1940s, I think it was Marie Claire, ran an article and switched them, switched them around like blue is the new boys' colour and pink is the new girls' colour, and that's what triggered the change. Oh, really? So that's the irony with all this stuff. Yep. So pink used to be the masculine colour. So that is just, I go, what? Oh, how have we done this to ourselves? But I just goes to show you marketing. It's all marketing. It's, it's all ability marketing, to correct. differentiate. It's ability <laughs> to make more money out of the same product by having one in blue and one in pink. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I can understand the thing as well. As well, you're talking about your your daughter laughing, uh, loving crafting, right? And and I had yeah. I had higher aspirations for my, my daughter because I think I'm pretty. I'm pretty much a dreamer and stuff like that. And, you know, like for me, attention span, like you wouldn't find me using a jigsaw puzzle. You're not going to find me doing Lego. You know, for me, like I'd rather be out on a sports field with yeah. a whole group of people and we're socializing <laughs> while playing sport. Yeah. I cannot sit down and just concentrate. But I had higher hopes for my daughter. 
<laughs> when she's ending up quite similar to me, I went, I can't blame her. Like, you know, I, I, yeah. I would struggle with those things as well, as much as I would like her to sit down with my husband and, and do the jigsaw puzzle. Like, I wouldn't be caught doing it myself. Well, and this is, this is the point, right? Letting them have choice. It's that yeah. whole, let's not eliminate this whole thing here because you perceive it to not be suitable for your gender. Yeah. But once they've chosen or once they've, you know, their personalities out there, you can see it, then don't fight it. You don't have yeah. to, like, make them like the boy things if they're a girl or the other yeah. way around. It's just yeah. that they know it's an option. And that's, I think, the really hard getting that right, making everybody feel like, well, you can pick from any of those things. But once yeah. you pick, it's up to you. You know, like, there's no reason why you have to fight it. It's nice that she's like you. I think you're pretty fabulous. It's going to be great. <laughs> we get eaten up in the real world sometimes. So she's yeah, going nice. to have to find <laughs> how to thicken her skin, I think. She'll learn to dream less, a little bit less. But that's all right. She can still dream. <laughs> yeah, that balance, right? Yeah, yeah balance. So um, some other things that have happened this year, which mm-hmm. apparently are quite significant, is that we had our second winner at the Oscars under the director category. So I was actually quite surprised that in the 93 year history of the Oscars only two women have won I think it's something like seven women have been nominated do you think this is significant enough for us to care about that's a great sign isn't it it's one of these things where you go look it's such a tiny number and that's why you know there's two now hurrah so we've had (laughs) like we've doubled the number so it looks good um but it's a sign of the times I think that you're seeing more nominations and it's just that it's it's not tolerated that it's just going to be completely male now. I like yeah. that. That if so, if they put up a panel of only male nominees, people, yeah. it's like having a, a mantle, you know, when we yeah. have like, you know, the mantle instead of the panel. It just gets ridiculed now, as it should. Yeah. If it's in something like that, it's different for, you know, for sports or whatever, or, you know, like, you know, you would expect to see women in the women's leagues and men in the men's leagues. But mm. for everything else, I can't think of too many places where we would tolerate now having all one gender represented. So it's lovely to see more of that. I'm delighted. Um, it's very exciting. It's a fabulous film. And I think was the previous one, Hurt Locker? I think yes, was the right. previous one. Yeah. 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 But both amazing films. It's great. It's deserving. You know, it's not like it's yeah. a token. So I think that's the hard part. People often go, oh, they just gave it to that person because yeah. they're a woman. Uh-huh. Clearly wasn't. It's clearly amazing films. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. It's just so slow. Yeah. <laughs> Hurry up 93 years. I was like, yeah, I think when yeah. I saw it, I was like, wow. Because sometimes I kind of go, is it significant? I don't know, because it's show business. But I suppose you are ha- having people tell stories through a lens. We always talk about a lot of things being shot through the male lens. Yeah. Um, and when you have diverse directors doing that, you're, you're seeing stories actually take on different aspects and telling different stories yeah. of people who are watching it. Yeah, um, and that role modeling thing, right? You know, yeah. It's that if, if there's more women doing that kind of thing, then more young women will see them and go, oh, it's possible. Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't mean they have to do the same. They can go further. They can do different things. But it's just it's less of a barrier, and I think that's the important thing. So the more women we see doing things like that, the better it is for people that are thinking about those careers. And let's face it, show business is one of the ones with the worst reputation for this kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. anything positive in that direction is good. <laughs> it's good. Okay. Got two more points to cover okay. with you. You've been, mm-hmm. thank you. You've done, you're going through a lot of important events that have happened through the years. So thank you for like making sure that we're across them all. It apparently was quite a good year for women in power. And according mm-hmm. to the UN report, eight countries have elected um, first woman head of state or government. So Barbados, Estonia, Moldova, um, I think, and quite significantly in America, even though it's not a head of state, the vice president is Kamala mm-hmm. Harris. 
Um, if we're looking from a political realm uh, with these movements in a COVID-19 environment, how, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's a, it's a kind of achievement that has happened or it's still not fast enough? What do you feel? Oh, I'm always going to say it's not fast enough. <laughs> but, um, but look, it's positive. I think on the other side of that is the fact that um, Angela Merkel's gone. Mm. Uh, we lost Theresa May. You know, that's been yeah. by a white bloke. Um, you know, like, yeah, there's ones that have come in, but there's yeah. also ones that have gone. So that's, I think, that it's nice to celebrate the headline. Yeah. But when you lose one from a rare pool, it's a very significant impact. Yes. So I think um, of having lost Theresa May and having lost Angela Merkel as do they maybe net that out as an overall vibe? Um, yeah. Very hard to say. Oh, yeah, you yeah. hate it worth you too. But you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, um, it's gone in both directions. It's, it's amazing in the States. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's great. I think that's a really positive role model. Uh, again, just people can see it and they don't immediately go, well, I've never seen a woman up there before, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Uh, that, that's really good. Um, I think it's just getting less tolerated, which I, I like. I get that vibe that in the last five years we are far less tolerant of mm. that just um, lack of diversity at those levels and we're starting to see that. So let's hope we see more of that in the Australian government. Let's hope we see more of it here. Um, yeah. But, yeah, every country that does it is a positive, you know, so well done to those countries. Bravo. And um, let's see more of it. So in terms of how does that translate then to how we treat um, our female politicians, right? So we've had our two very prominent, prominent leaders. You've got Julie Bishop and Julia Gillard. You know, I understand that UN's trying to celebrate the good things that have happened because I think sometimes mm. we want to deliver a good news story about something that's progress. Um, mm. But if you think about 2021, I mean, how do you think, if everything was repeated in, let's say, if we hypothetically looked at them in 2021, Julia Gillard becoming PM or Julie Bishop trying to make a play for PM, do you think mm. they would be treated any differently in 2021 or 2022 as, as opposed to a few years back? I wonder about the root cause of that problem for both of them. They're both in big parties and they're, those big parties are big machines. Yeah. So I am not convinced particularly in the case of the Liberal Party, that anything's changed for women there. I, I don't think, this is just my personal opinion, not being inside yeah. all that, my perception of that party is that they just do not, they do not handle women's stuff well, they don't handle diversity well, mm -hmm. um, and they don't, they're not proactive. Um, so I, I think Julie Bishop would be exactly the same. Mm. Um, Julie Gillard, I think, is an interesting one. I think her major thing was that she wasn't actually elected, you know. She mm. came in midterm and then lost an election. If she won an election, I think that would just inherently make it a different experience. Yeah. Um, but that said, the, the Labor Party has much better results in terms of uh, gender diversity representation, maybe not necessarily on leadership side, though, because they've yeah. still got white blokes in charge. <laughs> so <laughs> although it's positive, you know, and I love, yeah. you know, um, Penny Wong, Tanya Plibersek, people like that, they've got some really high-quality women who could lead this country, uh, but they haven't put them up. So mm. I, I wouldn't say they're necessarily much better. I think what's interesting yeah. is this idea of the two-party system is maybe not um, the way that those parties run and the machinations within them is not designed to change quickly or to achieve this gender equity at the top very well or very quickly. But then I, I you know, look at our state Labor um, government and they're like there's more leases than there are Liberals in our parliament over here i think it's half female you know so it's possible 
just yep. slow. Um, I'm very interested to see what happens with all the independents. There's a lot of independents and mostly women running as independents yep. because they've seen how you get treated in the big parties. So that'll yep. be fascinating this election, I think. Ah, so let's see. So we've got we've got more to look forward to, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing, you know, I would just like to see them support it better. I think, you know, whichever party that comes up, um, you kind of yep. go, you know, as much as we hear the thing about it's about uh, the best person for the job, I think it's it's sometimes evident that it's still not because maybe it's down to public perception. You know, we talked about that being an issue with it believing with victim blaming as well. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I think probably as a community, we have a lot to own up to us in terms of our individual perceptions affecting that. Um, yeah. Yeah. One last thing, Lacey, I'm trying mm-hmm. to squeeze it in. We talked about <laughs> quotas last year. Yeah. And the NASDAQ, um, has introduced a policy that requires diversity on company boards. Um, mm. So at least one woman on the board of directors and then they've also got, you know, other diversity kind of quotas. Um, how do you feel about that, NASDAQ? Such a... <laughs> oh, it's great. Step in yeah. the right direction. Step yeah. in the right direction. As we said, I think, you know, we've tried without quotas and it didn't work. Yep. The, the mythological meritocracy hasn't worked. So you've yep. got to try it. Step in the right direction. One woman on a board, not enough. Yeah. I'd love to see them follow the uh, the 40-40-20. I like the, the Australian government uses a 40-40-20 for its government boards, 40% male, 40% female, 20% either. Hmm. And I think that's a very good way to go. I think that should be the gold standard. Can't see too many reasons why you wouldn't follow that. Um, so I would prefer that. But, yep, step in the right direction. And as an investor, of course, I would always be looking for companies with diversity of leadership. I've seen a couple recently that I refused to invest in because it was all male, and I'm like, well, they're vulnerable. They're not going to have as good a decision-making um, or as problem-solving. So mm. why would you invest in them? So hopefully investors also vote with their feet and, and think about the longevity of the companies that they're investing in and look for that really good leadership that's mixed. Ah, uh, Thank you, Lacey. Uh, you've, on, you've covered so much, I must say. <laughs> so have you. Look at all the research you did. Okay. So we're not there yet. So not I'm yet. not particularly optimistic. I am opportunist, I think <laughs> I would say. So I, I hope it changes, um, but determined that it can't stay the same. So that would be what I'd like people to walk away with is, is it, there's still change required and we have more to do. So let's keep the pressure on where it needs to be and do what we can. Subscribe now to be notified of new episodes. Let's change how the story ends. The information discussed during this episode include strategies that are general in nature. As everyone's situation is different and the information discussed does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs, you should always seek personal advice with regard to your own personal circumstances.